Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly. And I'm Matt Dancona. And this is The Two Mats for the week ending Friday, June the 30th. It is indeed. A place, it says here, to make sense of the past week in politics in the company of two hacks that have seen it all. They'll be along in a minute. Not yet. <laughs> anyway. Meanwhile. What should, you'll have to do with us. We'll need a title for this episode. What should we call it? I think it should be A Tale of Two Cities. Uh, do you know why you think that? Because I suggested it early and you went, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's You exactly steal what, my idea. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> so anyway, this is The Two Mats, episode two, A Tale of Two Cities. A Tale of Two Cities. So what are we going to talk about? We should talk a bit about London. Yes. Um, it, it's very interesting what's happening in the London mayoral contest. The Conservative side against Sadiq Khan, who's who's going for a third term, eminently defeatable on, on a variety of issues. I mean, he's not been a disaster at all, but, mm. you know, third term is hard to get. Yeah. But what's really interesting is that the Conservative slate has been so minimal and and became even more minimal this week when um, Daniel Korski, who was a fame uh, a, a former special advisor to David Cameron, was named uh, by Daisy Goodwin, the TV producer and executive, as the man she alleges groped her. Yeah, and he, he, deni- he denies he denies it. He denies this very strongly. But I mean, uh, I have to say that 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 name has been floating around behind the scenes for yeah. which, which does. Uh, Beg the question: Why did no one vet yeah. Korski's um, nomination? Because I, I mean, I remember when Boris Johnson was running for mayor. Now, David Cameron and George Osborne hated Johnson, yeah. you know, for all the reasons that you know became quickly apparent. However, so so just so did they? They knew he was going to be. Boris Johnson, the Boris Johnson we know and love now. Well, they, they I mean, all, all the characteristics that have now become sort of nationalised, if you like, yeah. uh, were evident and they dealt with him for many years yeah. and they didn't like him and felt he was a, um opportunistic rogue, you know, agent, which is indeed the case. Mm-hmm. However, the, the reason I mention it is because this is going back to 08. They were in spite of their feelings about him, very much involved in the process of nomination for the London Mayoral Contest because they knew he was a winner. And they knew that for all their dislike and reservations about him, 
you know, he could win. And if he won, that would be a very helpful, you know, fillet to their chances in the general election of 2010. Yes. And I think I think it was. Now, were they right to back Johnson is a different ma- question. But the point is, Sunak has been totally hands off in this. And the consequence is that you've ended up basically with Korsky out of the picture with two people that no one's heard of. Yeah. Susan Hall, who's been leader of the London Conservatives on the Assembly. Catchphrase, safer with Susan. Safer with Susan, she owns a hair salon. And then a barrister called Moz Hussein, who really has almost no name recognition. Mm. So, you know, he's a KC, obviously an intelligent man, but it'll be Susan Hall, because she's, you know, way ahead. Um, and the, the, the reason I find it very odd is that, for reasons I'm not quite clear on, the system of voting next year for the mayoral mayoralty of London is being switched to first past the post. And that means that a Tory candidate who managed to capture just enough of the kind of coalition that Johnson got together in 2008 could pull it off. Now, it's a big ask in the context of the Tories free-falling nationally. But still, you'd think they would go for it. But they're barely involved. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're just not in the room. Um, and and like, so why is that? I mean, why is Sunak so detached from it? If I it's, think if it's important. I think this is you're looking at a, a sort of systemic failure now, yeah. which is that uh, they know it's over. Yeah. Um, they are. I mean, large numbers of them are looking for jobs, which is, you know, does occupy quite a bit of bandwidth. Um, I don't think Sunak is a instinctive guerrilla politician. He wouldn't think, hey, you know, if we did, if we had a good showing in London, that might Give shift, me shift uh, the, some impetus. It yeah, might shift yeah, the, the, the yeah. scales a little bit. Yeah. I don't think that's how he thinks at all. No. And I think he'd probably regard it as a as, as an embarrassing sideshow, to be honest. Patience we, Wheatcroft wrote a very good piece a few weeks did. ago in the New European really saying did. that he, he's quit. He's checked out. I think and he's absolutely spot on. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we'll see him m- mumbling his um, sound bites and his five pledges until the death. Yeah. But But I don't think you're watching a politician who really even pretends to believe he has a no. chance of winning the other the other thing which we should probably get a clip i bet you matt our producer can get a clip of this uh was that extraordinary rant of ben elton's about about sunak and the key phrase well let's see if we can get a clip the fact that the tories chose that easy option for a man now to say we don't take easy options when they took the easy option, which was Johnson, because they thought it would keep them in power, and when they thought for a moment he wouldn't, they dumped him instantly. I mean, uh, he's the Prime Minister. He, he owes us honesty, and we got nothing but mendacity, evasion, and vanity, just dripping with vanity. Fair to say that you are not convinced, I think. And that, that's that key phrase to me, which I think resonated with people, about him dripping with vanity. And there is something, there is something about him that is inordinately vain. Yeah, you know, preening, self-adoring. He's been you know. winning since yeah. he was in his teens. Yeah, I mean, he never loses an opportunity to remind us that he worked in a pharmacy. Often, posing in front of a pharmacy to make the point. Yeah, but the truth is, you know, he was head of school at Winchester. Then he went to Oxford, got a first. Worked for a hedge fund, went to Stanford Business School, Goldman Sachs. I mean, the the career has just been glittering. Married a billionaire. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't, and he had a brief uh, sort of hiccup over over the family's personal finances in the spring statement. 
But he came back from that, won the leadership, number 10. So really, he's never lost. And he's looking, he's staring down the barrel now of um, one of those things that prime ministers sometimes, you know, good and bad, actually, but just for various reasons, it happens to them that, you know, they, they are beaten. Yeah. Um, and it's a very, very unpleasant thing. And it's a humiliation on a national and global scale. I don't think he's remotely prepared psychologically. I mean, who it, who is for for that moment? But, you know, whereas you've watched Gordon Brown come back and be, you know, become a very active figure in national politics and global politics as well, yeah. I would be very surprised if Sunak post-defeat does that. I think he'll go off. They've got a place in California. Yeah. You know, he, he'll no doubt pick up hugely remunerated financial jobs and i think that's and we'll see him on Rem- remembrance day and that'll be that that'll be that i mean yeah. i don't i'd be surprised could happen i'd be surprised if he became a national treasurer as amazingly yeah. Theresa may seems it's weird to have isn't become... it because he i mean out of the car crash of johnson and truss out of that he came out and it almost felt do you remember the commentary at the time was that the Tories have made a fresh start. It's a fresh start yes. with Sunak. And it did sort of feel like, okay, well, at least we've got somebody sensible. But it masked that, um, the complicity that is all over him with yes. what had gone before. You I know, mean, he, he got he, away with a lot to start with. He had. I mean, it, the sort of irony of Sunak is that he's he looks like a Remainer. Yeah, but and, he isn't. <laughs> and, but but <laughs> yeah. he, is, he absolutely right. isn't. You know, he's right. a very committed Brexiteer. And we forget, you know, he got a fixed penalty notice for right. breaking COVID regulations and lots of question marks around his finances, yeah. keeping a green card longer than That's he really right. needed in America. Which I, that was one of the things that struck me as absolutely appalling, was yeah. the fact that he had that in his back pocket as a route out. You know, So he, he's not um, as theatrical in his um, kind of brandishing of his politics of entitlement as Boris Johnson. I mean, who, who could be? Yeah. But actually, his sense of entitlement runs deep, but in a different way. Yeah. Um, and I think people, I, I could be wrong, but I think the voters sense that. I yeah. think part of his problem is that it comes across, it, it comes through the, the screen. That this is not a man who understands, when he says... Um, you know, hold, 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 was what was his phrase about mortgages? Um, oh, hold your nerve. Hold your nerve. Cheeky bastard. I mean, a what, billionaire telling people who might be about to lose their homes, hold your nerve. And are having, as a consequence of, you know, coming mortgage rises, having to think yeah. very hard about how they yeah. feed and clothe their kids. Yeah. Hold your nerve. Well, nerve doesn't put food on the there was table. A brilliant piece by, in, on Sunday in the Observer, I think, uh, or the Guardian, it might have been on Monday by John Harris. Who, yeah, excellent. So John Harris is a journalist. I think I've I've got a huge amount of respect for him. Once I met him, and and he said something nice to me about um, an award that the New European had been given, and I then was presumptuous and said, "Would you one day write for us, perhaps?" You know, and he sneered at me and said, "Why on earth would I want to do that?" So my respect for him soared at that point as he told me to f off, kind of with a smile on his face. But the real reason I respect him is a great him journalist. Is he gets out there? That's his uh, whole shtick. You know, as he goes and sees what's he, actually happening. He won. He won the Orwell Prize yeah. uh, not so long ago, and rightly so. He's a great journalist. Um, and an, another thing to his credit is that he, because he gets out, he spotted John spotted that 
the Brexiteers were going to leave. Yeah. We were going to win. Yeah, yeah. A lot sooner than yeah. most people. And what, what the piece he wrote this weekend was how he called it, I think he called it the politics of complete despair or something like this. Yeah. You know, what are, he said that the mood in the nation at large, he said in places like little country villages, you know, small affluent towns, he said there is a real despair at large in the country now. Yeah. And he's never felt anything quite like it. But it's the same kind of vibe that produced Brexit. But he was asking the question, what what does this add up to? You yeah, know? it's a really difficult one because um, despair is not a party political issue. Right. You know, it afflicts all people. It afflicts all parties seeking off electoral office. Yeah. Uh, if the voters generally, as John Harris describes them, are suffering from a bout of despair, quite a prolonged one, it's very difficult, especially for a progressive party like Labour, to mobilise opinion to say it's worth turning out to the polling booth because, yeah. you, you know, your lives will get better. Not immediately, but we promise somewhere down the line. Well, you know, they've been they've been waiting for their lives to get better since 2016. And it's all part of the corrosions of Brexit we've we've that's discussed right. before. Um, but I, I, I do think that's that's that was a great piece, but also a very troubling piece. And well, also, I mean, just think. You know, you and I are both old enough to remember neg- that, that that period where yeah. people, you know, where negative equity and people literally posting their keys back through the bank's letterbox. Well, you couldn't do that now because you couldn't find a bloody bank on the high street that's doing? open anymore. But, <laughs> you know, people who face existential threats to their family life, yeah. you know, and then you've got wealthy people who are suddenly feeling well, I can't go on holiday now. You know, so they're feeling really crunched as well in their own way. You do get this malaise in the nation that you could see it persisting for quite some time. And and presumably, Starmer is going to inherit this. And as you just said, he's got no immediate quick fixes at all. No, how could he? I mean, it's going to take several years, perhaps many years, yeah. to repair the damage yeah. done by this government. Um but I think just going back to London for a second, I mean, it, what was interesting about the Johnson campaign um, and then the, his absolutely flagrant hijacking of the 2012 Olympics, for all the fact that it was cheeky and, um, you know, a sign of terrible things to come when he became prime minister, what it did do was it suggested at that point at least that the Conservatives were a party that took the capital city seriously. Yeah. You know, because if you don't, I mean, London is a, you know, there's a huge argument to be had about the the weight of London versus the rest of the country, and the, the, there is a some polls show that London versus the rest of the country is now the biggest divider. Yeah, you know, um, but nonetheless, unless London is humming as a wealth creator, as a you know successful, reasonably cohesive city. You know, the country's not... Everything good, suffers, yeah. Everything suffers. Yeah. And to find that the Conservatives are just treating it as a kind of sideshow yeah. tells you really all you need to know about them. Well, that's them. But, you know, it's not much fun for Londoners and also it's worrying for the rest of the country. And what's your, what's your prediction then on how it will play out Susan Hill versus Sadiq Khan? I think, I think Sadiq will win quite easily. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a there's a... A whole battle about emission zones and crime rates and so on. I mean, there are there are issues in London, yeah. But you know, Sadiq is a very seasoned campaigner. He's an, ad- he's an adult, you know. He's a grown yeah, up, yeah. and and he knows the answers to the questions that we've be, 
will be posed and she yeah. will she's a big trump supporter by the way yeah enough said well you're wearing the listeners can't don't know this unless you're watching on youtube but you've got a fantastic t-shirt with a great quote from succession on it what's the quote i love you but you're not serious people you're not serious people and these these guys that the tories are putting up are not they're not no, serious I mean, people uh, the, 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 the you know we both believe in the role of mischief and wit and so on and irony in in journalism and and you know, it's. I think, oddly enough, it's a sign of seriousness that you do assign a role to humour. But I do not think that these politicians we have at the moment on the Tory side are serious. Yeah. And you know, the 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 longer they hang on, which is w- what they're doing. Yeah. Um. In some cases, even longer than they promised to. I mean. Yeah. Today we we we, we today we've got the report where Rhys Mogg, Nadine Doris castigated. By for contempt of Parliament, yes, for calling this a kangaroo court that has uh, damned Boris Johnson. You know, the, we are. It feels like the end of days for for the Tory Party, but it, it can't be because we've got to keep checking ourselves and reminding ourselves that the Tory Party is the most successful political party yes. on the planet. I think that's right, but I also think that I struggle when I think when I try to work out what a post election Tory party will be doing to increase its chances of getting back into office because the one nation conservative party that everyone is expecting to re-emerge just doesn't exist anymore no that's right and so um you're right but at the moment the division is a tribal factional one it's between the sort of Sunakians who 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 are kind of desperate for Boris Johnson to go away and then there are the, the defenders of of Boris Johnson, whom you just named, of whom some just you just named, yeah. who are going on Newsnight and other programmes rubbishing the Privileges Committee yeah. still yeah. as a kangaroo court. And, you know, anyone who read the report reasonably could see that they had no reason to um, find Johnson guilty. In, um, in a word, is is there a route back for Johnson despite it all still? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he, madly. Yeah. His prospects are brighter than Sunak's. It's incredible. It's what it, what our fellow podcaster Alistair Campbell calls the turd that will not be flushed. I mean, I'm not saying he will become leader again, mm. but he's obviously not finished, and he has a bully pulpit in his new mail column. Uh, though, boy, I mean, he's up there with Adrian Childs for I mean, banality. Well, phoning it in <laughs> that has taken on a new meaning, hasn't How it? How much do you reckon they're paying him for that? Well, we know it's under a million, but not much. <laughs> I mean, uh, that is a lot of oh my God. Of, of paper. I don't know for... what's worse. Declan Rice for 105 million to Arsenal <laughs> or Boris Johnson for a million to the I mail. mean, as transfers go, I think in terms of goals <laughs> scored, it's not necessarily going to it's incredible, prove a good eh? ratio. But it is interesting. And it shows you a lot about the future of the right, which is there is going to be the Boris camp, which yeah. will include... Um, the Daily Mail and others. Yes. And then there will be others who, who are still Brexit, pro-Brexit, but try and dial yeah. back slightly. Maybe the Telegraph in there. Maybe. Well, Poss- it depends who their new owner is. It depends is. entirely yeah. on who the new mem- the yeah. new owners are. That's why that's yeah. important. Um, but, you know, it will be varieties. It'll be like COVID. You know, var- we're talking variants yeah. of the Brexit disease here. Um, and it, it won't be. There isn't a one-nation candidate waiting in the wings um the one nation movement if it is to become a force again in the Tory party has to start rebuilding 
from scratch because it doesn't it just has, um, doesn't have people. No. You know, he got rid of them all in 2019. They're gone. Fascinating. Anyway, well, let's leave it there for the time being because that's going to rumble on and on. Uh, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, what do you fancy talking about? Well, I think I think should we talk about Paris? What's I going on definitely there? would like to talk about Let's the events about. in Paris. Okay. A, tale of, a tale of two cities. T- ah, mm-hmm. Possible oh, title contender. Possible title. Okay, see you in a minute, folks. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The New European is one of the fastest growing titles in Europe and for a very good reason. If you're fed up of the same corrosive nationalistic agenda peddled by right-wing media dominating the UK news agenda, then do something positive about it and subscribe. We're not just endless diatribes against Brexit, although if that is your thing, you won't be disappointed. But we've also got a fantastic arts and culture section and a bunch of fantastic columnists, including Alistair Campbell, Bonnie Greer, the philosopher Nigel Warburton, and of course the giant of journalism, that is Matt Dancona. Subscribe from just a pound a week for our digital package, or if, like me, you love getting your hands on the actual newspaper each week, you can have that delivered to your door for just another £1 a week, and that's a saving of 75% of the retail cover price. And for listeners of The Two Mats, I'm giving new subscribers a £25 gift voucher for our shop. That's enough for a great T-shirt or one of our best-selling Bollocks to Brexit Burgundy Passport covers. So go to the neweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. 
That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S. And do something positive about supporting great journalism today. That's the neweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. So, uh, Paris, ugly, ugly scenes Horrible. this week. Um, I made the mistake of watching the video on Twitter. Um, and it's, it's pretty vile. To describe the scene, a traffic cop with, armed with a submachine gun pointed at a windscreen at a young man, a 17-year-old, it turns out, of Algerian descent in a uh, suburb of Paris. Only identified as Nahel. So Nahel M, Nahel, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and in a routine traffic stop, the cop is heard to say, I'm going to stick a bullet in your head. Uh, the incredible. guy drives off. I'd have bloody driven off in those circumstances. I, well, I don't, if I'd have been able to summon the energy to move, I'd have been in such. I mean, rational in, in in a situation of rational behaviour in a situation of utter terror. Uh, and as he moves off, boom, the the bullet goes through the windscreen, yeah, and kills him, kills him, and the and, car and goes off. It's just he was a baby. 17 he was seventeen years old. Years old. I mean, you know, it, that's the bit that really kind of makes me. Well, it's R- rigid with fury yeah, because yeah. he was a baby. No, I'm not saying yeah. it would ma- it would be fine if he was 27. No. Of course it wouldn't. Yeah. But a 17 year old, yeah, equivalent of a sixth former, yeah. in a car shot, yeah, at point blank range by a traffic cop on a random stop. In, you know, in, not, it's not even like Mark Duggan, for instance, in Tottenham, no. where you know that he was. That was a whole huge operation. That was an exchange. You know? Yeah. It's a judicial execution of a of a yeah, child. It's exactly that. And to Macron's credit, although this is where the this is about as far as the credit extends, I think Macron has said this is indefensible. The good news is the cop is up for murder, effectively. Um, but there are now a procession of riots and huge demonstrations in in Paris and across France about this this awful incident. And one thing that absolutely stopped me in my tracks when I was reading the first news reports on it was the statistics of how many people the French police kill each year. Go on. So last year, I think it was 37 people. So that's basically one person every 10 days the French police kill. This is compared to the UK, where it, it it's regularly two or three or four or two or three or four as you go through the years. The French death toll is regularly late 20s, early 30s, sometimes 40 people a year. And the majority of those people are people of immigrant descent. So, and and the vast majority of people killed in traffic stops, which it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. But the, there are, an, every year at, at random traffic stops, a number of people are killed. And the majority of those are of Algerian immigrant descent. You have this situation in a country of comparable population and comparable history, colonial history, but a ferociously different uh, situation when it comes to racism and and what seems to be deeply institutionalised racism. Well, we have to sort of fess up, which is that, you know, Louise Casey did a big report on the Met, which found that yes. in, in March that it was institutionally yes. racist. Yes. And there was a report by the Independent Office of yeah. Police Conduct, which um, found that um, across, I think, 2011-21, people of colour in, in, in this country are seven times more likely to die yeah. than white people. And nine times custody. more likely, if you're a young black guy, nine times more likely to be stopped than a, wa- a young white absolutely. guy. You know? So. We, we yeah. you know, we do not come to this discussion no, no, no. with clean hands. However, however, there is a 
there is a difference of kind, I think, in the racism on both sides of the channel, which which is evidenced by the 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 kind of brazenness, if you like, of of what happened mm. this week, and it says a lot about the incredibly troubled history of French yeah. the French approach to. Algeria to, to, Algeria, to the Maghreb, yeah. to North Africa. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it is. This goes back yeah. a long way. Well, I, that, that's what I thought was interesting to talk about, just how far it goes back. And and, and I know you have seen. It's one of my favourite films. I mean, it's one of the darkest films I've ever seen. La Haine. The, uh, it's a great the, classic. The hate. Movie. Hard to watch, but it's it brilliant. starts with that uh, fantastic opening line. I think it's by, I think it's Said who is the Algerian immigrant who is narrating the first opening scenes. And he talks about the tensions in France and he says something like France is like a man falling from the top of a skyscraper. And every floor he passes, he says to himself, so far, so good. So far, so good. And it, and it felt like, you know, you were hurtling towards catastrophe. And, and But at the same time being in this state of denial. And it does happen in France. Every 10 years, it seems to happen. You know, 95, there were huge riots. 2005. 2005, there were cops, uh, there were two... Algerian descent kids electrocuted, running away from police, and this is this is what I thought was the interesting point about this stop. And you know, we should say we don't know the circumstances. No, but it would seem clear that this kid just didn't want to get engaged with these involved with these police. And this was very similar to that case in 2005, where the kids were running away not because they'd done anything wrong, but because they just didn't want to get arrested, and taken to a police station, mortal terror, interrogated for four or five hours, have their parents called out to to get them released from jail, because that is the lived experience yeah. of people in the banlieue. Yeah, and we should we, you know, people always say le banlieue, you know, and, and categorize them as you know poverty stricken projects and I mean there are some very nice banlieue it just means suburbs, suburbs and yeah. some of them are very nice but some of them are hell holes of you know uh, where unemployment rages there's lots of youth crime and boredom and you know there is lots of bad behavior by people who are who've got nothing better to do and are in a state of despair but what I, I think struck me is as one of the key differences like we said earlier you know it's there's a lot of similarities with London, but the, also at the same time, it couldn't be more different. Where if you go on a, a weekend trip to Paris or have a, a, a week in Paris on holiday, you can walk three hours from one end, from the Eiffel Tower to, you know, uh, Montmartre. Yeah. And everything will be lovely and nice, you know, and civilized and beautiful yes. buildings. And, but you never, you very rarely step out into the suburbs. And in the suburbs, they have these ghettos where this there is this intense um, feeling of oppression, largely amongst Alger people of Algerian descent. And people feel, you know, utterly hopeless and neglected by the government. In London, people who uh, are less advantaged, they're in the mix. You know, I think, you know, yes. geographically, they we it's, live cheek by jowl. It's a distinction. Uh, there's a fantastic book by um, a wonderful African-American scholar called Isabel Wilkerson right. called Cast, in which she draws a very uh, subtle but important distinction between racism and caste. Right. So her point is... The Deep South of the United States was a caste system. It wasn't just racist, it was a caste system, which is why, by the way, the Nazis went to the Deep South of America to learn how to 
do segregation when they were planning the, the Nuremberg laws. Is that and right? It I is. Yeah. That. No. I mean, she writes about it in the book. Wow. Uh, and I think that that uh, the French have something which edges closer to a caste system. I mean, their approach to um, North African migrants and their descendants is, uh, you know, again, one doesn't want to be smug because there are huge problems in yeah. this country. Well, the Windrush generation. The Windrush instance. generation. But, but this is different, isn't but it? But this is different. And I think it's um, it's interesting that when there's an incident like this in the UK, um, it, it takes a while for the yes, but brigade to come out and say, yeah, but, you know, he had a gun or, yeah, but, yeah. you know, what was he really doing? Marine Le Pen has already been all over this like a cheap suit. Has she? Saying Macron's sort of olive branch words, you know, pacifying words, urged for peace, you know, calm and order, are were a massive betrayal, you know, and law and order must be restored. You know, this is, and, there, and I'm afraid to say that there, there will be a big audience. Yeah. Especially in the south, yeah. for uh, for that that kind of rhetoric. Well, there were polls in Le Monde in the in the Times of France, you know, newspaper in 1990. So you know, still 30 years ago, yeah. but you know, a generation, and it was something like 76 percent of people said that they were disposed against Algerian yeah. descent, you know, and didn't trust them. Basically, mm-hmm. them, this othering of of this group of people, and. They are. I mean, it's the yeah. untouchables thing. It's like there, a, there are know. parallels, though. I think with, well, I mean, the parallels continue and continue. Such is is history. But if you remember in '62, when after the Algerian uh, independence was given by France to Algeria, and France, having considered Algeria bizarrely, you know, looking back, bizarrely considered it to be basically a region of France, you know, unlike its other African, North Mm. African territories, you know, it sort of considered Algeria to be basically part of France. Half a million Algerians came into, into France and, you know, very, very quickly. They were basically segregated. They were dumped in, in, in parts of town where no one else wanted to live. And they were deprioritized when it came to national housing. And, you know, this is only two generations ago. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's really um, on a on a much larger scale that kind of sense of uh, invasion yes. and France is changing. This isn't France. Now I saw a quote the other day from uh, what's that woman's name? Alex Phillips from yeah. Reform UK, and she said something like, um, "Fed up of living in London, it doesn't feel like Britain anymore." To which Paul Mason, by the way, another New European New European columnist. Brilliantly said, what, what is it? It's too many Huguenots. You know, it's kind of like... You know, <laughs> back to Stuart Lee. Back to Stuart Lee and the, you know, the feeling of invasion. Coming over here. And, you know, the the idea that anything is fixed in time yes. and that this place is... Least of all, is, London. Yeah, you know, it's nonsense. Least of all, London. I mean, London, London is like a geological strata. Yes, of it is. Constant change. You know, yeah. it's a great river city. You know, it's yeah. been endlessly But maybe that's one of the slight differences with Paris where... Because of the banlieue and the people being shunted out to the suburbs and the centre of it largely remaining stable. You know, if you can go to Paris from, I've been going for 35 years, more or less it, it feels like the same place. Um, except every 10 years, yeah. they're trying to burn it down because it, it, it this furious... Uh, evacuation of hate occurs, you know. Um, yes, I mean, it, it's, it, and it's the case that for all its problems, there is no part of London where you don't know that it's a multicultural city. 
Yeah. N- not even the poshest neighborhoods. That's right. You will know. If you walk around, you'll get that feeling very quickly. That's right. That's the way it is. That's right. And I thought it was very interesting. When we had the riots in 2011, yeah. which were, you know, n- no one was really quite sure what the hell they were all about. No, they were, it was that a very... Was the abiding. It was a very destabilizing... I mean... In the great British way that, that we do, we've kind of forgotten about it. Well, I don't know what any of the answers to this are, but it's uh, it certainly proves in that conversation that we're not blindly positive about French uh, or European Union countries. No, I mean, I think fr- I think French uh, politics is is in, is incredibly divided, um, and and I don't just mean in the normal party political way, but in in a kind of universal view where you have an Enlightenment elite view which Macron absolutely incarnates yeah. and then you have the gilet jaune uh, yeah. Le Pen view which is very different yeah. really different okay well that's pretty much it for this week what what didn't we talk about that you wanted to talk about well one one thing was uh, Russia yes gangsters oh paradise I mean, I mean it, it's incredible to think that less than a week <laughs> ago yeah. a man who uh, looks like a lollipop man who was hit by a bus yeah. and used to be a hot dog salesman uh, turned brutal, murderous, mercenary warlord, yeah. n- came within 125 miles yeah. of Moscow and at least trying to get his hands on the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world, 6,000 warheads. And it's it's one of the reasons why I think, and I wrote this in, 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 in The New European this week, is yeah. that we must stay in Ukraine, but also be aware that Russia is likely to be in unstable and possibly to a transformative extent you know this is a, yeah. this is a gangster society you know there are there are chechen militias the, the company gazprom yeah. has its own gang yeah you know th- this is a society that no longer really operates yeah. according to the kind of institutional uh, rules-based approach that we are used to and that is w- bad news at any time but when it's a nuclear superpower it's truly terrifying and i mean just doing a, a ring round this this early this week it was very striking how many eyes in in whitehall and westminster and the defense establishment are now looking at in a quite serious way the collapse of russia yeah. and what if anything you can do because what follows putin might not be better no that's right so, so you know that is the yeah. ultimate watching brief i think yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. How, by the way, how Gazprom are still allowed to sponsor major incredible global sporting incredible. events is just unbelievable. It's like being sponsored by the Cosa Nostra, you know. It's like I mean, it, absolutely, it, it, it absolutely madness. shouldn't be no. an, an issue. No. Uh, what else was going on? Uh, well, I I uh, I went to see the new Indiana Jones, last Indiana Jones, Indiana yeah. Jones, and the is it the last one? Yes, Indiana, Why, is that a spoiler alert? No, but oh. it, it, he said it, and everyone has said it. Yeah, but okay, and it really, right. I mean, he's they the he's eighty or whatever, yeah. and uh, it, it really is Indiana Jones and the Dignitas voucher. Really, uh, um, but it's also that it's the Dial of Destiny, and the sidekick this time is um, not the disgraced Charlie Buff, but um, uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Yeah. Um, who sort of goes through the motions of basically being flea bag yeah. as um, as an archaeological adventurer, right? So you <laughs> constantly expect her to break the fourth wall and you know raise an arched eyebrow. Um, yeah. uh, she doesn't quite, but it. I mean, I, I think you know she's she's a very gifted person. She's obviously a great writer. 
She's not the most versatile actor in the world. Uh, but, you know, Harrison Ford is de-aged. And yeah. I, I would call... It's the kind of film that I would call amiable nonsense. How right? many marks out of ten would you get? Oh, not... I mean, no more than five or six. How does it compare to the rest of the series? Well, I think the first three are very good. Yeah. I think that the, um, the, the last one, which is as long ago as 2008... Yeah. was not so good and this one is probably the weakest yeah. there's a sort of sentimental dimension to it because Harrison Ford is sort of doing his Sinatra farewell yeah, tour yeah, yeah. Of, of the various fra- goodbye to franchises um, but that's it and you know the famous everyone knows this I reckon but the, the, the most famous scene in the whole franchise where Ford is facing the baddie in the first film and has the bullwhip in his hand and the guy pulls a knife out or something like this. A and big sabre. A big sabre and wields it at Ford and then Harrison sort of like just insouciantly just pulls a gun out and shoots him and turns away. Well... And the, the story was that he had terrible diarrhoea, didn't oh, he? Oh, yeah, that's right. Did he, you know that? I, I knew he had stomach upset. Yeah, I think it was, <laughs> yeah he, Harrison Ford had awful diarrhoea and could only basically stand only, up yeah. for about 20 seconds. So they improved well, this. Um, this film, like all such films, is full of what South Park calls member berries. Right. So there's that... <laughs> That scene is, you know, archly referenced. Is it great yeah, stuff? No, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, we didn't have time to talk about any of that, but uh, maybe we'll come back to it at some point in the future. Get well soon, Madonna, the microbial, yes, the microbial yes. girl. Um, <laughs> poor Madonna. Um, there's no new issue of the New European this week because we did our fantastic referendum. Super Sore Away. Super Sore Away double issue. Yes, uh, still at the newsstands. Still at the newsstands. Um, and, and you should subscribe uh, if you don't pick one up at the newsstands. But there's some fantastic stuff in there, Be including not to. the 10 lies of Brexit, which I did remark. You know, yes. we had to stop somewhere. But anyway, these are the 10 biggest lies of Brexit. So that's uh, that's there. Don't forget the great subscription offer. That's the neweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. M-A-T-T-S, the number two, two mats. There's actually a link in the show notes. Thank you so much as ever to producer Matt Hill at Rethink the Audio. The third Matt. The third Matt. Um, and until next week. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. goodbye. 